The Truth News Network. When the fix is in, you know it. What you don't know is when the fix went in. A government built on corruption doesn't form out of thin air. It takes a long time to form, takes a long time to get here. And what you see is only 10% of it. Corruption is built on lies. And to see the depth, you need a lot of truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to reveal that iceberg is Dan Newman. What a mouthful from Pete Moss in that intro. Corruption, where does it start? Well, tell you what, we don't know how it started. We don't know when it started. But our world is, just to be honest, full of corruption in every area in politics. And what we must do every day here, folks, is we got to ferret out what's out there. We've got to expose it. It doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't really matter when, as long as it's appropriate and applicable to us now. That means we have to take actions. Well, good morning, everybody. I sure hope you had a good weekend. Boy, I had a good weekend. Man, I spent time with good friends, ate good food. We're with members of our family. We're so blessed. We live in Shreveport, Louisiana. We have three kids. We have six grandkids. Our two oldest are girls, and our oldest has four boys. Our youngest girl has twin girls, and they all live within four or five miles of us. So we're blessed. We're fortunate. I mean, they're in the years now in high school where it's soccer and baseball. We're having so much fun, and we're just blessed beyond explanation. And I tell you, this is a good time of year. Spring's a good time of year because sports are going on, and we're able to get outside a little more. And of course, we had church this weekend. Great church service. It's just amazing that here we are in the Western world and things are pretty much going smoothly. Yeah, we've got some uh, speed bumps in our lives over here. Everybody's got those. And we're figuring out how to get through all of those speed bumps. But I tell you what, if and when you get down on what's going on in your life, you get discouraged Always, you can look elsewhere, just for a moment. Take a look elsewhere. Put aside your dilemma, the problems that you have, and realize this. There are people all around the globe today that don't know if they're going to see tomorrow because somebody else is standing just around the corner from them about to push a button on a missile or to shoot a gun and kill them. That's happening every day now in Ukraine. And those people did nothing to deserve what's going on there. Absolutely nothing. They're facing that every day because of a little bitty guy who's got a power complex and he decided he wants to take back the old Soviet Union, move the boundaries in Europe, Eastern Europe, to include those countries that formerly were part of the Soviet bloc. And he's just determined No matter the cost, no matter who he has to blow away, no matter any of the implications of that, Vladimir Putin is beginning this thing. Well, he he really began it back in 2008 when he annexed Georgia back into Russia. And then, of course, in 20, was it 2014 or 20? It was 2014 when he went in and took Crimea away from Ukraine. And now it's just a full-blown, I don't give a rip, I'm going to take Ukraine. And those folks are dealing with it 
Their homes are gone. Their jobs are gone. Their cities are gone. Everything that they knew that we are taking for granted here in the Western world is gone. So whenever you're prone to get down and a little concerned and maybe get angry about the circumstances you find on your plate every day, just remember what's going on over there in Eastern Europe. We have so much of that and many more things that we're going to get into. And I just want to once again tell you, you need to hang around because there's a lot of stuff we're able to peel back and get inside information on. And sometimes it's not inside information. It's just factual information. And we make sure that that's what you get from us here every day. So where are we going? Well, let's start right here. The price of oil. No surprise. Yesterday evening, it went off the, the, the chart. And that, of course, is putting pressure on gas prices and inflation. West Texas Intermediate Crude Futures. That's the one that pertains to us here in the Gulf South. That's the U.S. benchmark. It went up to $130.50 a barrel before it slid back a little bit to $123.09. West Texas's highest price since 83, just to give you an example, was $143.67 a barrel back in 2008. Adjust for inflation, guess what that number would really be, the real cost of oil, $186.73 a barrel. Brent crude, which is the global benchmark for the price of oil per barrel, traded as high as $139 last night. By 8.45 yesterday evening, Brent crude went back down to $126.30. Now, of course, all this is happening, not based upon what really is happening, but fear. There's fear everywhere in the petrochemical industry. What's it about? Everybody's afraid of a full embargo against Russian oil, which accounted for 10% of the global supply before the invasion of Ukraine. 10%. That doesn't seem like a lot, but it is a lot when you put it in perspective. Many in the market are even refusing to bid, ship, or even unload Russian oil. And that pushes up demand for other sources. The Russian benchmark, known as Urals, has traded at a steep discount to Brent crude over the past week. So here's where it really matters to you and me. You know what the national average price for a gallon of gas was yesterday, Sunday? $4 a gallon. $4. The highest national average in nearly 14 years. In perspective for me, there is $4 gasoline in northwest Louisiana, but... uh, Right now it's around three, you can get it three eighty, three ninety, but that's awfully close to four dollars a gallon. The day of the twenty twenty election, the day Joe Biden was elected president, the price of oil at my gas station was a dollar sixty one a gallon. And I paid three sixty nine on Saturday. Well, it's it's not Joe's fault. There's an invasion going on over there. You know, Vladimir Putin decided to take Ukraine and that drove, it it just going to happen. You got a war that happens any place on the planet, it's going to drive the price of everything up. Well, it wouldn't have driven it to where we are 
Where would it be? I don't know. But I promise you, if we were still energy independent, if we had all of the oil and gas and all other types of energy that we need in the United States, if we had it all and we were in control of doing it, producing it, getting it to market, that means transporting all of the elements rolled into one big pipeline, guess what we'd be paying for gas today? $1.61 a gallon. Nothing changed over here, folks. Well, we have inflation and we have this and we have that. Yeah, stuff fluctuates up and down. But it's not normal for prices to fluctuate going from $1.61 to $4 for the exact same product. Even in a year and a half, which it's not even a year and a half yet. Joe Biden began this climb in gas prices, in oil prices, with his first day in the White House policies that he put in place. Now, all those on the other side, they'll point their finger and say, you can't say that. You don't know. He couldn't tell the future back then. And we're still getting oil. There's plenty of oil in the world to get. Yeah, but it's not our oil to get anymore. We're having to go bargain with people that hate us. We're buying oil from Russia. When Joe Biden was elected, folks, we weren't buying oil from anybody. We were selling oil to those in other parts of the world. It's a big difference when you're in the buyer, the consumer seat, than when you're in the seller seat. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really, really big deal. So why didn't the president step in and do something? I mean, I know we don't want to go to war. We don't have a World War III, and I think we already do, but that's a a story for another time. But we don't want to go to war with Russia. If we go over there and start shutting down their energy production and we try to stop it around the world, he's already warned everybody. He's got nukes and he's not afraid to let them loose. I don't think he would do that. I really don't. But let me tell you what's happening over here. Finally, finally, People in the media are beginning to ask, even the mainstream media, the legacy media, those that cover for Joe Biden every day about everything. So what is the media? What are they saying? What questions are they asking? Did you see any of the Sunday morning shows yesterday? I always go back. I don't see hardly any of them live. Very early Sunday morning, I will, but I miss all the late morning stuff. I went back and looked and listened to several of them, folks, and they're asking the same questions you and I are asking. Back to the key issue here, which is the question of the of, of banning the import of oil and gas from from Russia. You know, it is not insignificant. Uh, we actually take in more petroleum from Russia than we do from Saudi Arabia. Uh, so, so the ban will result in, and, and it also obviously affects the world supply as well. So you'll see oil go from not $100 a barrel to 150 maybe $200 a barrel. But it's extraordinary, George, for all of the, uh, the sanctions that have been imposed, and they have been unprecedented uh, on, on Russia, to sanction everything but the thing that drives their economy. And so John McCain, uh, is, you know, John McCain used to say that, that um, Russia was a gas station masquerading as a country. 
And it was a great line. That's all they have. So is that a yes? Banning oil imports could come soon? Look, the president has been clear uh, with President Putin that the consequences of his actions in um, in Ukraine will be felt and it will be felt by the Russians. At the same time, we're trying our, our best to minimize the impact on our own country, on our own energy security, as well as the energy security around the world. So we're in uh, discussions with uh, NATO allies, as well as uh, working uh, with uh, uh, with our with the president. President is working with his advisors, security advisors, as well as his energy advisors on how to address these issues. So it's not a yes yet. You've introduced legislation to ban the import of all Russian oil to the US. There is growing bipartisan support for that idea on Capitol Hill. Secretary of State Blinken just told me that the Biden administration is seriously discussing it. Americans are already dealing with high gas prices. Should they prepare for that to get even worse in order to stand up to Putin? Well, first of all, let me just say that the fact that people believe that buying, stop, not buying Russian oil, not having Russian oil would raise our gas prices is actually very concerning because that proves that Putin has the leverage and the power over America to raise our gas prices anytime he wants. So we shouldn't allow that to continue. We should not allow Vladimir Putin to have the power at any moment to raise gas prices on Americans by cutting us off at some point now or in the future. So we should cut them off now and replace it with American oil and have a buffer in between the time that that production starts up and the time and that we make the cutoff. And we can use our strategic reserves for that. That's what I hope we will do. I hope that's where the administration's headed. But it makes no sense whatsoever to continue to buy oil from Russia that they use to fund this war and, and, and this, this murderous campaign that they're undertaking. The last voice you heard there was Florida Senator Marco Rubio. Isn't it interesting to hear the mainstream media come around on issues? I mean, they'll sit and they'll pontificate, oh, this and that, this and that, crazy Republicans, conservatives, they just don't know. And of course, if they don't listen to us and just bite off on everything we tell them, that means they're white supremacists. I mean, we get so sick of hearing those types of arguments every day from the mainstream media, from people on the left. It's like instead of getting into substantive conversations and debates, talking through issues and really addressing the heart of these urgent realities that the American people, and not just over here, folks, all across Europe and Asia, South America, Africa, same thing. Everybody's got to have energy. And quite honestly, the energy that is dominant on the planet comes from fossil fuels right now. And I know, I know the climate activists, they are all in for getting us away from that. Well, I got to be honest with you. We're going to, at the end of this segment, we're going to get into a plan, a process, and make some suggestions to those hardcore folks who are stuck in that of how, if they've got the best deal, how we can make it work and not be paying $4 a gallon for gas and not being in uh, not being dependent upon the biggest tyrant on the planet that is slaughtering slaughtering innocent people in northeast Europe right now every day just because of his big ego now our secretary of secretary of state antony blinken he's been all over europe the last i guess week having meetings 
And he's the guy. He's the arbiter of negotiating with our foreign, uh, I guess our foreign partners, but as well, people like Vladimir Putin, trying to get everything flowing easily between us and all of our foreign partners. And of course, he's hitting some speed bumps over there. But um, he got put on the hot seat about banning Russian oil and gas. And in just a minute, I'm going to tell you the dollars and cents. Listen to what they're saying and the justification for the decisions they are making, they being the Biden administration. We are looking, uh, again, as we speak, in coordination with allies and partners at this prospect of banning oil imports. So it's interesting you added the in coordination. We will not do this unilaterally. The United States Mm -hmm. is not going to do this unilaterally. A hallmark of everything we've done to date has been this coordination with allies and partners. We are much more effective across the board when we're doing things together uh, in as close a coordination as possible. There are instances where uh, we each do something uh, a little bit different, but it complements the the whole. So in the first instance, uh, we want to make sure that we're acting in in, in coordination. I'm not going to rule out taking action one way or another, uh, irrespective of what they do. But uh, everything we've done, uh, the approach starts with coordinating with allies and partners. When you think about uh, what's going on uh, internationally, how do we get to the place where, you know, I think, I think the problem has been that we've been so divided as a European democracies and other democracies. So I've spent all my time just trying to bring them back together again. So we're on the same page. Everything I've done has been designed to bring the G7 back together, bring the EU, bring, and now, now we're united. I mean, yeah. And so I think people are beginning to realize that. I mean, yeah. And so I think people are beginning to realize that. I got to be honest with you, folks. I um, I don't see happening what President Biden just said was happening. He's got the G7 and NATO and the European Union united. I don't see that. Well, what do you mean, Dan? What are you talking about? I think it, you know, we're kind of getting together and we're all against Vladimir Putin. Well, we may be individually, but not united. What evidence do you have to prove your point, Dan? Well, just listen to the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, who spends all of his days, he's still in Kiev, he's hiding, but he's still there. He won't leave the nation and he sends out messages and he gets on the phone and he speaks with foreign leaders around the world, just like he has for about 90 days, almost daily. Well, what's he talking to all of them about? He wants help and he doesn't want nations to send their active military members to help the people in Ukraine. He wants weapons. He wants all of those things that we, as the United States, and oh, by the way, NATO, even though Ukraine is not a member of NATO, NATO, the European Union, our friends down under in Australia, we should have been arming Ukraine to the teeth because Vladimir Putin has been telling us for a long, 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 long time he's headed there. And we just kind of blew him off. Everybody is petrified that 
he has 6,100 nukes. Those are the ones we know about. 6,100. Anybody can do a lot of damage with one nuke. 6,100? Come on now. You can change the face of the earth permanently with far less than that. And yeah, he's a madman. And speaking of him being a madman, have you heard the furor over Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina? Late last week, he came out and he said the best thing that could happen if someone, some good person, would take Vladimir Putin out. And the media world went absolutely nuts. Oh, we can't do that. We're better than that. How could he say that? He could start World War III by just saying that. Vladimir Putin's liable to do this and do that. Let me ask you a question. Where were those people when uh, we took out Osama bin Laden? Joe and Barack did that. Well, I take that back. Barack did that. Remember, Joe was in the uh, in the special room where they instigated all of that with all those high-ranking U.S. officials. Joe, despite what he says today, people that were in that room have testified. Joe was against going after Osama bin Laden. And then what about Soleimani? You remember him, the Iranian general? that had slaughtered more people in the Middle East, including, folks, more Americans, by his efforts to go militarily and attack us when we were in the Middle East. And, of course, he really slaughtered a bunch of people in Israel. Donald Trump took him out. There was a little bit of uproar, but why is it so loud now when it's Vladimir Putin What is going on with our people? Listen, it's not because of us that we are in this thing. And people say, oh, you can't say we're in it. We're not in it. It's it's not NATO. There's no Article 5 um, agreement that we are sucked into having to help the people of Ukraine. Listen, this nation has a history since its beginning to back freedom. Everywhere we see despots trying to attack freedom and those that are less powerful than the despots. We've done it around the world. You guys forget that in World War II, we didn't fight two foes. We fought Germany. And of course, he brought in Italy, Mussolini, he being Adolf Hitler. We fought them. At the same time, on the other side of the world, we're fighting the Japanese. And why did we did that? Despots were attacking and trying to take over the world. Does that sound familiar? Do you think Vladimir Putin just wants a little carve out of Northern Europe? Heck no. Do you think he and Xi Jinping very subtly announced at the Olympics that there was a new partnership on the planet? They were firmly united, their two countries, to stand against horrors and horrible people in entities around the world. Can you imagine an alliance between Russia and China against anybody? Yeah, I got to be honest with you. The thought of that petrifies me. 
But here's where we are, folks. This nation has never been driven by fear. And more and more, it looks like our decisions that are being made regarding Vladimir Putin and this Ukrainian invasion are being driven by fear. Why did all of a sudden, when several of those European Union nations volunteered that they were going to give Ukrainian pilots to be used against this invasion in Russia, MiG, Russian-made fighter jets. In fact, Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, sent a bunch of those pilots, as he was told, to Poland, where they were going to be instantly trained on those MiGs because all the pilots in the Ukrainian Army, Navy, or Air Force, the only planes they ever fought, fighter jets that they ever fought with or trained with were those Russian MiGs. They could get an update and be operating very quickly. So it was announced last week, they're going over there. All of a sudden, that offer for those MiGs from one of the European Union countries was withdrawn. Why do you think that was? Fear. Fear that anything anybody does to push back against the slaughtering of thousands of people, unprovoked slaughtering by Vladimir Putin. If we push back, if we hit him in the face, he's going to fire off some nukes. Where's the leadership? Where's Winston Churchill? Where's Ronald Reagan? Where's George W. Bush? And I've got all kinds of problems with stuff Bush did internationally, but what he was was decisive. This president is anything but decisive. Now, I don't want him with his finger on the button to start a nuclear war. I certainly don't want that. But what I want him to do is do what we do in the United States of America. We do always have, and we always should, hit bullies in the face. Stop them, whoever they are, wherever they are, from slaughtering innocent men, women, and children anywhere around the world. And you know what? We've done that for generations, very successfully. God has blessed this nation in large part because we have made ourselves a sanctuary for people that are being beaten, bruised, broken, slaughtered, by despots way before Vladimir Putin came around. And all of a sudden, we stop doing that? And then we make nothing but excuse after excuse after excuse. We're going to go into a little bit of that, but I, I want to I stop right here on this, this, this oil thing. They're kind, they're kind of trying to gloss it over. In the White House, as an example, they're talking about, oh, you know, it wasn't Joe Biden that started this price hike on oil. It always happens. It's a seasonal thing. It's kind of like that inflation thing. They told us for months, all oh, that inflation's transitory. It's not going to last long. Folks, it just keeps going up and up and up. And if you think it's the number they gave us a few weeks ago, 7%, it's probably twice that. There's a lag time before they get the numbers, the official numbers. If they give us the official numbers, we're going to find out our inflation today is going up faster than ever before in American history. That's Dan economies, economics. 
And I'll apologize if I'm wrong, but I guarantee you it's well over the 7% annualized level. I promise you. Why is that? Nobody's being decisive. Nobody's being decisive. And you just heard the Secretary of State when he was asked about stopping taking any oil from Russia. Well, how about let's listen to Biden's economic committee chairperson. That would be somebody who would know what and why and give us some explanations. Well, she was with Jen Psaki before the White House press group. Listen to this little short explanation. Dr. Cecilia Rouse, chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. Because we're running a bit late, she has a very small window, but has agreed to take a few questions. Thank you, and I'm happy to take questions. As you described the strength in the economy, if there were a policy decision made to stop importing Russian oil, what impact would that have? And do you see a resilience in the American economy to withstand that? So again, we're in a very good position. What we know is that, that you know, from the U.S. economy, we don't import a lot of Russian oil. We don't import a lot of Russian oil. But we are looking at options uh, that we can take right now if we were to cut uh, the U.S. consumption of uh, Russian energy. But what's really most important is we, that we maintain a steady supply of global energy. Last one, Josh. Sorry, just to follow up on that, we're reporting right now that you are considering a ban on U.S. imports of Russian crude. Should I interpret your answer just now that it might be more targeted than that? So we are considering a range of options, but what's really essential is that we maintain a steady supply of global energy. We don't want to disrupt. Look, energy is a global market, and we do not want to disrupt that market. Thank you, Dr. Rouse, for joining us. Thank you. You're welcome anytime. Okay, uh, everybody supports the efforts that the pres President Biden has been leading around the world uh, to take, put in place uh, crippling financial sanctions, and they have had an enormous impact. Uh, but what we are also mindful of is not taking steps that ha would have the impact of raising uh, energy prices, raising oil prices, raising gas prices for the American public. Oh, we don't want to take the steps that are going to raise the price of gas and oil to the American public. You know, we want to keep it just like, well, like it was yesterday. No, it's gone up. Well, the, it, nah, we don't know what we're talking about, but we're, we're giving you good talking points in defense of the decisions that we made. Here's what we do at the Biden administration and what Joe Biden taught us because he's been doing it for almost 50 years in Washington, saying whatever he thinks the people want to hear, whether there's any substance to it. That doesn't really matter. People just want to feel good, and he's a feel-good kind of guy. Meanwhile, <laughs> that blanket statement you just heard from the brain surgeon in the White House, which would be Jen Psaki, that everybody's in agreement in Europe. Everybody's in agreement with us, which is basically run behind a tree and hide and don't do anything and just pray and hope that everything's going to be okay. Christmas is coming again and everything gets, well, I know it's a whole long, almost a year away, but we can hope, we can hope. That's not leadership and it certainly isn't working. Now let's wade into this lie about Russian oil. Oh, you know, you heard that, that chair of the president's economic council. Oh, we don't use that, that much. Russian oil anyway. Now, let me give you the numbers. We use an average of, or excuse me, we buy an average of 600,000 barrels plus 
I think the last number I heard was about 637,000 barrels. But let's just round it off at 600,000 barrels of oil a day. At the current price, the low, low price on sale today, Russian oil, it's only $130 a barrel. When Donald Trump left the White House, we were paying $42 a barrel for Russian oil or our own oil. But that's okay. Joe Biden's a really nice guy, and it's worth us paying $100 a barrel more, right? Well, that works out to $78 million a day. A day. We're paying Vladimir Putin for his oil. Now, what does that work out to in a month? $2 billion, $340 million a month. Now, don't try to say or convince me that the United States of America, on Joe Biden's watch, because Joe Biden won't cut off the use of Russian oil, we, as Americans, are paying for Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine to the tune of $2.3 billion a month. Jen Psaki said those horrible sanctions that we've put on Russia, they are making a horrible difference. Russia's struggling. I haven't seen that, have you? If they were really working those egregious sanctions that Joe put on Vladimir We'd be seeing some of the results of that. If it's really hurting, what are we supposed to be sanctioning him to get him to do? Well, the only thing we're supposed to be trying to get him to do is to stop his invasion, stop killing people, stop taking this country of Ukraine and ripping it apart at the seams. That's the only objective that we have. It hasn't worked at all. In fact, it's only become clearer every day that he's not stopping with Ukraine. He's going after the Baltics, and he'll probably end up, look, right to the west of Ukraine is a big, 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 big nation that is very anti-Russia, anti-communism, Poland. And then there's a whole slew after that. If he is successful, fairly successful, any time in the next short term, I guarantee you, he's just going to take us a breath, get a second wind, and just keep on trucking across Northern Europe. I promise you. And it doesn't take a geopolitical scientist to be able to make that, make that determination. When it quacks and waddles, folks, it's a duck. Every time... It's a duck. And when you determine who someone really is and you determine their identity based upon history, you get a pretty good idea of what they are going to do and what they are going to be doing under a specific set of circumstances. Joe Biden is looking at Vladimir Putin and he's minimizing the fact that Vladimir Putin is on point. He has an objective And it's going to take a lot from a lot of people and not just a cognitive declining president of the United States. It's going to take a lot of people. It'll take the United States 
but it's going to take the European Union and the United States and other independent countries to stop this thing if we can. Right after this, we're going to wade into some facts about the war, the battle that's ongoing, some things that we're not hearing from mainstream media. We've been able to ferret out for you here at TNN Live. That's next. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. Howdy, the streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. Those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle. It's streaming at its best. Includes Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Now, I mentioned this about finding some information that you're not hearing on mainstream media. Something pretty good is happening over there, as a matter of fact. Did you know that Putin's been slowed down significantly? Kiev claims to have destroyed dozens of Russian helicopters overnight, retaken a city, and killed 11,000 troops, while Russians have captured no significant territory that sparking hopes Ukraine could win the war. Now, we're not hearing that in mainstream media. Where are you getting that? We're getting it from our friends over there at the Daily News, the Daily Mail. Russia's invasion has appeared to at least, I don't want to say ground to a halt, but it's been kind of slowed down significantly. No territory captured, despite a weekend of heavy fighting. Kiev's Men are claiming to have taken out dozens of helicopters, recaptured a city, sparking hopes that 
the unlikeliest of victories may be on the cards. They're fighting for their lives. They're not giving up. Putin's men renewed their bombardment of Maripol, Chernev, Mykolaiv, and Kharkiv this morning as hundreds of civilians tried to get out of Dodge across a destroyed bridge after days of heavy attacks, trying to encircle the capital of Kiev. They're still after Kiev. But Russian commanders haven't significantly advanced their front line since they took the city of Kherson and the nuclear power plant, the first one they got last week. Meanwhile, the Ukraine armed forces have claimed to have destroyed 30 Russian helicopters that had been moved to Chernobyl Airport near Kherson overnight and to, reha- re- to have retaken the city of Kukhuv. Chuhu, C-H-U-I-V, killing two Russian commanders, Lieutenant Colonel Demetrius Safranov and Lieutenant Colonel Denis Glebov in the process. Russian also tacitly acknowledged the loss of two other commanders, uh, Colonel Zizvesky and Lieutenant Colonel Denis Glebov, whose funerals were held in Russia over the weekend. There's some video that came out also that showed that Ukrainian defense forces based in Odessa, that's the country's largest seaport, exchanging fire with ships overnight, one of which suffered a hit. Ukraine's Ministry of Defense claimed that the vessel, a corvette named Vasily Baikov, was destroyed. Why aren't we hearing about these things? These are pretty substantial and very specific things that can be checked off. Why can't we get that? information from mainstream media. The Ukrainian military now estimate that 11,000 Russian soldiers have been killed in fighting, along with the loss of 1,000 armored vehicles, almost 300 Russian tanks, 68 helicopters, 46 planes, and dozens of other pieces of hardware. We're not hearing about that over here. Independent observers give lower numbers. But Franz Stefan Gotti of the International Institute for Strategic Studies said the situation is nevertheless slowly becoming unsustainable for Russia. In other words, there's some good news there. But you know what? In the news world, good news does not sell. When there is something big and international going on, the good news that comes out of that, it just doesn't make for good news. It doesn't draw people to the television screens like magnetic, you know, or you just get pulled into it. But oh boy, you start talking about blood and guts and people getting killed and international invasions and all that kind of stuff. Hoo, hoo, hoo. That gets the eyeballs on the television watching the news. And that turns into ratings and that turns into money. U.S. intelligence believes Russia has committed 95% of the invasion force it had put together on Ukraine's border. Our intelligence people say 95% of those are in the fight right now, meaning big reinforcements to push its attacks forward are unlikely to come soon. Only 5% of their forces are left not in this thing. And this push, this invasion, could simply run into many of the same logistical problems that plagued the earliest assault. That's prompted some, including UK General Admiral Sir Tony Radican, to predict that Russia could actually lose this thing. 
He was asked by the BBC yesterday whether victory for Putin's forces was inevitable, as many had predicted before the fighting started, and he responded with one word, no. Now, defeat for Russia does not automatically mean victory for Ukraine. Despite heavy losses, Putin's people have seen still been able to capture key territory, particularly in the south of Ukraine, cutting Kiev off from many of its vital Black Sea trading routes and its naval bases down there. Ukraine's forces have proven dogged in defense, but it remains to be seen whether they can counterattack successfully and push Russian forces back across their border. It came as Ukrainian and Russian forces met in Belarus for a third round of talks between the two sides. Russia, for the first time, has raised the prospect of stopping its operation, provided Ukraine recognizes the independence of the Donbass, acknowledges crimes as Russian territory and pledges Crimea, I'm sorry, as Russian territory and pledges never to join NATO. It's the first time that Russia has explicitly stated its position in talks. And of course, Kiev has rejected them. It's also been announced Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov is meeting with Ukrainian counterpart Dmitry Koliba in Turkey Thursday. That'll be the first high-level summit between the two sides on neutral ground since the fighting started. Meanwhile, Russia is expected to keep up its bombardment of the largest city with Moscow claiming to have opened up evacuation routes of some of them, Maripol, Sumy, Kharkiv, and Kiev, early this morning so civilians could get out. Ukraine quickly rejected the plan after it emerged most of the evacuation routes led into Russia or Belarus. Deputy Prime Minister Verishuk rejected the ceasefire offer early this morning, saying it's not acceptable for Ukrainians to flee the country that is attacking them. Civilians aren't going to go to Belarus and then take a plane to Russia, she said. So there is a real glimmer of hope. And the glimmer of hope, I love this, the glimmer of hope didn't come because Big Brother, the United States of America, or Little Big Brother, the United Kingdom, Britain, and others, came to the aid of the Ukrainians and saved them. They were done. And the only way they could have any shred of hope was if the United States swooped in and just took Putin and his forces out. No, you know what it's coming from? The Ukrainian people. The Ukrainian people standing up and saying, we will not quit. You can hurt us, you can shoot us, you can kill some of us, but we are not quitting. You cannot have this country. This country belongs to the Ukrainian people. Wow. Now let me give you another neat bit of news that came out of the Daily Mail early this morning. One captured Russian commander is begging for mercy. For who? For himself? No, for Putin's forces that are in Ukraine with this commander saying they were duped into invading under the false pretense that the government had been overthrown by Nazis. Seriously, folks, the Putin 
information machine, put it out all across Russia, that Ukrainians' government was taken over by Nazis and they needed to be liberated. This commander, who claimed he's a lieutenant colonel in the Russian National Guard Special Rapid Response Unit, he said his countrymen have been brainwashed into supporting the war, but having seen the real situation in Ukraine for himself, he's been over there with his troops, he now feels shame that he's taken part in genocide and says Ukrainians are right to resist. Astakov Dmitry Mihalovich said his doubts solidified when he saw two of his favorite boxers, Oleksandr Yusik and Vasily Lamachinko. You've heard their names. You've seen them on television. They together agreed to fight with the Ukrainian resistance. And in a stark message delivered to Russian troops that are still fighting, he said this, I'm begging you, stop before it's too late. Russia cannot win here. If someone came to my territory, I'd do the same as these people did, and I would be right, and they are right now. Guys, be brave, he said. It's easier for me. I'm in this situation already. You're in a tense situation going against your own commander, but this is genocide. The people are just slaughtered. It echoes statements given by other Russian prisoners interviewed by Ukrainian forces. They said the order to attack came at short notice. They were told the Ukrainian government had been deposed and they were going in a liberators who should expect only light resistance. Instead, they walked into a bloodbath. Now, none of this can be verified yet. All statements are likely to have been given under some degree of duress. But the consistency with which the same story is being told by soldiers on the ground from different units that are fighting in different parts of the country who have not had time to get their stories together, they're all saying the same stories. That just kind of points to there being some reality in it. It came as Russia renewed its attacks surrounding Ukrainian cities early this morning, pounding Moripol, Chernihiv, and Kharkiv in the early hours of the morning, though without making any significant ground gains. Except for limited advancing to the south, Putin's forces has now largely been at a standstill for several days, and they're taking a beating while they're passing out a beating. (laughs) Isn't it interesting? And I think, just imagine, if uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, president of Ukraine, he's called Churchill in a T-shirt, if he had just bailed and left, like in these circumstances in world history, like in Afghanistan, the president of Afghanistan before the United States abruptly withdrew all our our military out. He just took off. Private jet found a place that would give him a place to live. He took a bunch of money. In fact, we were told he took millions of dollars of U.S. aid, by the way, on that jet with him and just bailed and was gone. Zelensky? Uh Uh-uh. He's staying, actually staying in Kiev. Now, he has people that have spent full-time 24-7 jobs keeping him hidden in various locations. But he's still there and he's not leaving. And he has never sent a message of defeat to his people or to any other nation on the earth. 
And he's telling them all, I don't want you to come get me and save me. Send us the equipment that we need. We'll stand up against this tyrant and we'll beat him ourselves. Meanwhile, back in the U.S., guess what's going on? It's the blame game. Everybody's pointing fingers. Who's responsible? Who's guilty? Who made this all happen? Well, that circle of finger pointing doesn't include in the middle of those being pointed at Joe Biden. But guess who is in the middle? On Sunday's broadcast of NBC's Meet the Press, you remember the name Fiona Hill, former National Security Council Senior Director, Fiona Hill, insisted yesterday, Donald Trump, now Donald Trump, you remember him, he was president, but he hadn't been president for a year plus, Um, she's insisting and she's an expert, Donald Trump played a role in Vladimir Putin's decision to invade. Now here's her explanation, she argued that Trump's request for a personal favor from Zelensky's predecessor in Ukraine. You remember that? He was impeached for that and found out that it didn't happen. Anyway, she still argued that Trump's request for a personal favor set the wheels in motion for this invasion. Now, here's her thinking. Here's her reasoning. I'm going to quote her. I think there's just one point that sums everything up that you yourself touched on is that President Trump, at a pretty critical period, withheld military assistance to Ukraine that was desperate for it at that particular junction, basically to get Volodymyr Zelensky to do him a personal favor. She insisted that the request, which would later play in a role in Trump's first impeachment, was a signal of weakness to Putin. Well, that sends a message to Putin, she said, that Ukraine is a plaything for him and for himself as well as for the United States, she said, and that nobody's really serious about protecting Ukraine. And that was ultimately a signal of weakness. It's our political divisions. Our parties are infighting, which was on full display there, that Putin, I think, is quite shocked now that we've got some collective action together. What the heck is she talking about? What collective action together do we have? We're not unified. They want to claim we, Joe Biden, the Biden administration, got NATO on full point. We are totally together. Yet, we're totally together. We ain't doing squat, but we're together, so that makes us champions of the world. NATO has done nothing. NATO leaders are scared, poopless, that Vladimir Putin is going to get mad And he's going to push a nuclear button. He knows that. And that's why he hasn't stopped. There's no pushback from anybody that can beat him. Except those silly little Ukrainian people. Who are they? I'm Vladimir Putin. Can you believe that? Can you believe Fiona? Can you believe anybody in Washington is that bold? If Vladimir Putin had had one ounce of confirmation during the four years Donald Trump was president 
that he could just roll into Ukraine and take it back? Why, Fiona, didn't he do that? Why, after that conversation was made public in the first year of Donald Trump's presidency, why didn't Vladimir Putin, if he thought that Donald Trump was feckless and would cave, why didn't you just go again and do it? Why did he wait until after Trump was out of office and Joe Biden was in office? Here's why. Vladimir Putin remembered what happened in 2008. It wasn't after the election. Joe and Barack weren't in office yet, but they were going to be the obvious winners of the White House. And so he just went in and took Georgia. No pushback. What happened in 2014? Barack Obama was president. Joe Biden was the master of foreign policy. He was the vice president. What did Vlad do? Well, he rolled in and he took Crimea away from Ukraine. Where was Joe? Where was Barack? Vladimir Putin? Vladimir Zelensky. I said, I'm sorry. Was begging for aid from the United States. Was begging specifically for those missiles that would take out Russian tanks in Crimea. You know what Joe and Barack sent him? Blankets. It's going to be cold out there. Y'all need some blankets to crawl under at night. Here you go. (laughs) Vladimir Putin's a smart guy. He may be uh, an idiot when it comes to reasoning through things and coming with some good good answers to his reasoning. He may be that, but he's not a stupid person. He knew. He didn't know it because of past actions that Donald Trump had taken regarding military. There hadn't been any, which should tell you something. (laughs) In four years, there was no military issue anywhere on the planet for Donald Trump to even have an opportunity to go postal against a foreign leader. Vladimir Putin knew that there was fortitude there and that it was likely that Trump would not stand by and just let Russia roll through Ukraine like Joe Biden is and like our partners in NATO are. At the end of the day, I'm pretty sure about this. I don't think Vladimir Putin wants to destroy Mother Russia, as he calls it, which would happen if he pushed a nuclear button. I'm pretty darn sure of that. And I'm pretty darn sure of this too. If we don't stop him, he's going to keep going. If you don't just bop the playground bully in the face and shut him down and stop the bullying, what's he going to do? He's just going to keep on bullying. And he's going to keep on and keep on. And whoever's in the way is going to feel the results of that. And the first guy that steps up and says, I'm not going to take this anymore. We're done with this and hits him square in the nose is the guy that takes the bully out. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know who's going to end up in the white house in 2024. I have no clue who's going to win control of Congress and be in a place maybe to call some of the shots. I don't know any of that, but I can tell you this one thing when it comes to standing up against the bully, that would be Putin It's certainly not going to be Joe Biden that does it. He's feckless. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network.
Little Caesar's thin crust pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring six forty nine in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's large thin crust pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just six forty nine. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a Pilgrim, please make a decision. Ten to the ten to the ten to the ten. Ten to the ten to the ten to the ten ten ten. Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember 10-10-10. For 10 days, sign up for $10 and pay just 10 bucks a month after that. Hurry, you only have until November 10th to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on 42nd Street next to Shopco. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water, vitamin water. Regular water, vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. The voice we need more than ever. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Who, oh who, is going to stand up against the dictator, the master of genocide, current master of genocide in the nation? That would be Vladimir Putin. Who is going to stand up against him? An interesting story came out late last week as the Russians were massed along the Ukrainian border late last year, the White House got a back-channel proposal from a defense contractor. And what this defense contractor was suggesting was for the U.S. to send some decommissioned fighter jets that were piloted by retired American airmen to defend the skies above Ukraine. The proposal was reportedly the brainchild of Blackwater founder Eric Prince. And he took that inspiration from the World War II Lend-Lease program, which provided Britain with military armaments to help it fight Nazi Germany before we got into the war. And you remember the Flying Tigers? They were a volunteer air corps that helped defend the Republic of China against Japanese invaders in 1941 and 42. So that's where the idea came from. A close-knit group. I don't know who the group is, but we know they were a close-knit group. They decided to send this proposal directly to the White House through back channels out of fear that if it was sent to the Pentagon, it would get bogged down in red tape. Prince alluded the proposal during an interview late last week with the guy on Fox News that is under constant attack from everybody on the left and a bunch of people on the right, Tucker Carlson. Trust me, 
If 140X American combat aircraft showed up well-flown, aggressive carnivore pilots, believe me, Vladimir Putin would not have invaded because that's the kind of deterrence he was not expecting because he needs air superiority. That was Prince saying that on Tucker Carlson. I provided that kind of thought, a concept to the administration already in early December. They just don't want to think outside the box, he said. It's really frustrating. And so now, the permutations of what happens in this war, we certainly don't want to send troops. But for heaven's sake, it should have been stopped before it ever started. So news of this rejected proposal, it comes as our White House and NATO have steadfastly rejected pleas from Ukrainian President Zelensky to establish that no-fly zone over significant parts of his country. Jen Psaki said such a proposal would essentially mean the U.S. military would be shooting down planes, Russian planes. Oh my gosh, why? Why is it so bad to shoot down Russian planes? Those Russian planes are slaughtering innocent men, women, and children across Ukraine. U.S. Naval War College professor Tom Nichols, he said that the Prince proposal is one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard. Not only is it an invitation to the Russians to identify such aircraft as some sort of secret NATO intervention, but if an American pilot is shot down over Ukraine, it'll open an entirely new dimension of the crisis, and all for a money-making stunt that wouldn't help Ukraine. That's the kind of response That is what's coming. That kind of response is coming not just from United States ex-military people and even some current military people. In other countries, their bureaucrats are saying the same thing. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Okay, NATO. We all know about NATO. The United States is the big player in NATO, the North American Treaty organization. We get that. And that we're the ones that pay the most money, yada, 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 yada. And there is a Article 5 agreement between every NATO country that any attack on a NATO country, that means that every member of NATO must join in to protect that NATO country against those attacks and subsequent issues militarily. We get that. But we're the United States of America. Are we committed to just those countries? We have a history, folks. We have a history of going after any despot that does what Vladimir Putin is doing today in Ukraine, all around the world, in Europe, South America, and Africa. Nobody griped about that then. We're not talking about the United States. Let me make a novel suggestion. What would happen here? Specifically, this group is talking about decommissioned A-10 Warthogs. Are you familiar with these jets? Those are the ones that the engines, there's two engines, and they're mounted on the back. And there's a big, big engine on one side of the chassis, and on the other side, there's the second big engine. And they are devastating because they're so quick when they move in battle and they can fly at low altitude and their specialty is taking out tanks. Can you just imagine for a second a scenario where 
We let those guys do that. We give them the jets. We give them the ability to find uh, fuel, and we make sure that they have the ability to have armament necessary to do their thing. And we let everybody know they're coming. Not when, not know the circumstances, not not know what the plan they're going to execute is, but tell them they're coming. What kind of impact would that have? Well, it would put Vladimir Putin on notice, but just because he knows something doesn't mean he can deal with it and stop it. Those guys that fly those A-10 Warthogs, they're all veterans. They've all flown in combat missions. They know anytime they get in the air, there's a chance they're going up against an enemy that wants to shoot them down. That wouldn't change. They're volunteering to face that and go over there and stop some of the despotism to save the lives of innocent men, women, and children. And all these experts can say, including those at the White House, including the guy in the Oval Office is, nah, we're not going to do that. We don't want to give Vladimir Putin, give him a, a, a reason to push the nuclear button or to implicate in any way any of our NATO partners. You know, the ones that we put the bill for, and they do very, very little over there anytime we get in a situation. But we just want to be the nice guys. And these guys were ready to sacrifice their lives to save Ukrainian people. So on this question about what in the heck is Putin's long-term game, Have you come up with an answer? Biden said this over the weekend. I've read pretty much everything of what Putin's written. He has much larger ambitions in Ukraine. He wants to, in fact, reestablish the former Soviet Union. That's what this is about. Well, many military experts and political experts, they think Biden is right. I do, too. I'm not an expert, but I think he wants more than just Ukraine. In an often cited and perhaps highly revealing comment years ago, Putin said that he believed the fall of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the 20th century. Now, if you realize that's his fundamental premise and that's his starting point, you can understand a little bit better what he's doing today and why he's doing today what he is in Ukraine. He thinks that he needs to go back And he thinks he's anointed by whoever or whatever to be the one that can do that and that he should. And that's the task he's put his mind and put his shoulder to. Now, right now, he's got his hands full with a much stronger than expected resistance to his war on Ukraine. And he's getting a whole lot more resistance about his war against Ukraine in his hometown, back in Moscow although his massive military is expected to eventually win if the Ukrainian people just can't hold out. Most believe, though, it's not a matter of if, but rather when and where Vladimir Putin begins pressuring, coercing, or attacking other countries as he tries to reconstitute something akin to the Soviet Union. You know, you've heard the term the Baltics. Well, all those political experts are keeping one eye on Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania 
as Putin wages war on Ukraine. Why? Because those three Baltic states sit sandwiched between Russia, its close ally Belarus, the Baltic Sea, and the Russian territory of Kaliningrad. Because all three countries are NATO members. It's not expected Putin would take physically aggressive action against them. That's according to one professor of political science, Donna Bari at Penn State. The Baltics are vulnerable, but a direct Russian military strike against nations in NATO seems unlikely for now, Bari said. That doesn't rule out Russian efforts such as cyber attacks, other covert actions. In fact, all three Baltic countries have experienced those cyber attacks from Russia for some years, kind of like we have. Former DIA officer Rebecca Koffler said that a military attack is highly unlikely, but she said Putin may hit the Baltics with non-kinetic actions. Now, what would that include? Principally, cyber attacks, but also electronic warfare. Any kind of destabilization like covert ops. He's not going to go with military operations of any kind of kinetic action against any NATO country, like in the Balkans, she said. But as a conflict escalates, and especially if he's on the losing side, she fully expects him to ratchet up non-kinetic actions. Now, this is all speculation. Everybody's got their own opinion about this. Everybody thinks they know Vladimir Putin. I learned a long time ago to believe that scripture in the Bible that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what I'm trying to do through this whole kind of thing, I'm not necessarily trying to find out and figure out what he's going to do and where he's going to do. I'm stuck on trying to figure out what it takes to stop him and to stop the genocide. I know everybody here, they think of Xi Jinping, the leader of China, as being the most ruthless leader on the planet, and he very well be. And China is committing genocide in a bunch of different ways. But folks, so is Vladimir Putin, genocide on the Ukrainian people right now. And there are other places where he's doing it. He's had 121 members, leaders in his own military through the years. He's had 121 of them assassinated. Why? They simply disagreed with him. Now think about that. Now it wasn't all where he had him come into his office and he pulled the gun out and shot him. It was done in many cases very surreptitiously. They were walking down the street late at night and somebody jumped out of the the flower bed and shot him in the head. It wasn't anything like that of, you know, a fake attack on the streets. It was done very quietly in a Russian, Soviet Russian KGB agent, which he was kind of a way. But there were no questions in Russia that he was behind the killing of those 121 people. How many people in the White House, how many people in the Biden administration have the ability to think about decisions that are made by someone who would institute those kinds of things? I don't think there are very many people up there. If there is anybody up there that can follow that mindset, they need to step up. 
because there's nobody in the White House in the leadership of this country I know of that has that kind of expertise. Well, we have our Defense Department, you know, our our military. I don't know of a single member of leadership in our military. There may be there, but they're not the ones that are making any of the decisions about what to do in Ukraine. You can bet that. As big and as powerful as our nation is, we're really looking stupid with this Ukraine thing. And our lack, I started to say our reaction to it. We're not reacting to it at all. We're just sitting there saying, don't get involved. Don't do anything that's going to make Vladimir push the nuclear button. We can't go down that road. Meanwhile, we let him slaughter and continue to destroy all kinds of infrastructure Billions, hundreds of billions, even trillions of dollars worth of unnecessary destruction in Ukraine, totally unprovoked by the people that he is destroying their lives, and we're doing nothing. So what kind of guy is is our leader in the White House? You learn so much about people when they speak their minds or when they do something, and you understand a little bit more about them. And uh, to me, that's a big deal. I want to understand our president. And I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I want to. I pray for him every day. I want him to be successful. I want him to make the right decisions. But if anything, Joe Biden can be pointed at as being, in most cases, indecisive about everything. Bob Gates, former CIA director, former... Um, former defense secretary was in the White House, two presidencies, two administrations. He said this a long time ago about Joe Biden. Joe Biden, every foreign policy decision he's made in the last 30 plus years has been the wrong one. That's the guy that's on top of the heap making all of our decisions. But sometimes folks, when we want to learn something about what's going on here, It helps for us to get an opinion from people that aren't here. We at TNN Live Truth News Network, we have a good relation, a close relationship with Sky News down in Australia. And over the weekend, they started looking at our president and a group of them got together live on the air and they made some, uh, they drew some conclusions about our president, Joe Biden. Listen in on a little bit of that conversation. U.S. President Joe Biden, he can't even focus when there's a war on in the world at the moment. He's now got Russia and Ukraine confused after having trouble identifying his Ukrainians from his Iranians. Have a look at this. How do we get to the place where, you know, Putin decides he's going to just invade Russia? Nothing like this has happened since World War II. Oh, Holly, it, it, it is embarrassing, but it's also dangerous. And you wonder why we've got authoritarian presidents prepared to go into war with other nations. Well, if, I mean, Biden once during the State of the Union could have been, you know, a misspeak. Uh, now in the second interview, it's starting to look like a pattern. 
uh, Kamala Harris and her explanation of Russia's a big country next to a smaller country called Ukraine and Russia's the bigger country that invaded. I mean, I honestly hope she was giving that instruction to a kindergarten class because oh, it was yes. embarrassing. Yes. Um, you know, no wonder Putin's been emboldened with these two in charge. Uh, it's just extraordinary and it's heartbreaking to see the state of the US and the, being run by these two, it's in, you know, it's it's dangerous and it's embarrassing and it's it doesn't instill a lot of faith. And when you look at John Kerry, who's there, let's not forget climate change oh, in the Ukraine war. Stop. I mean, seriously, we've got you know Me Too movements that are now being discredited. We've got ridiculous notions that we need to keep looking at climate change while the Ukraine conflict's going on. And I think Richo's right. If Putin's in trouble, I think we're all frightened he'll push that button. And I can assure you climate change will seem like a walk in the park to nuclear fallout. So perhaps we need to focus on the main game here and stop worrying about what pronouns are on the bottom of your email. <laughs> Very good. I you're right about Holly Hughes. You're right about Holly Hughes. Great point. Do you are you on the same page with all of this? Yeah. I don't think there's any reason for uh, a political divide on this. Uh, th this is a time when um, both sides of politics in Australia are going to focus on humanity. Mm. Uh, and that's what's lacking in Putin. He doesn't have any of that. He, but he but the White House, Richo, is there substance in the White House? The world, I think, is legitimately asking that question. There's not much substance. There's not much strength. Um, it's pretty rudderless. Mm. So the question can't be answered positively. Um, the only thing that you've got to hope is that uh, at some stage Putin looks at the might of the US, not those who represent the might. Yeah, uh, I think he's looking at uh, Biden and laughing. Just a sense of a nation, Australia, pretty big one, close ally to the United States, member of the United Kingdom and all that kind of stuff. But they look at our president. And remember this, when you put it in the context of world history, the United States, the administration, whichever one is in power at a time, pretty much through the years has been a go-to source when things get a little dicey around the world. People look to us for leadership. And you just heard the biggest network, people speaking for the biggest television network in the UK, not just Australia, but in the United Kingdom, Sky News, and three of their top-notch on-air personalities just basically ripped apart. And they, they were very sad about it. It wasn't a, oh my gosh, look what an idiot this is. It was like, oh my gosh. The United States president has always been the voice of freedom, the spokesperson for freedom around the world. And he just can't handle the task. So let me, let me just say this about that. There are a lot of people that are watching what's going on and they're lipping their chops. Can you imagine what Xi Jinping is feeling right now about his hunger and lust and thirst to take over that little bitty island nation down to the east. He's been looking at them. He's been lusting for them for decades. And so as we're focusing, the world is, on Russia and this invasion of Ukraine, nobody's looking. 
Nobody's looking at Xi Jinping and thinking what may be going on down there. For decades, the Chinese communist regime, they've been building their economic and military might so as to replace us on the world stage as the sole superpower. And their plan has a timeline. They want to have it done by mid-century. So with the regime acknowledged by the U.S. as America's primary threat, posing its greatest geopolitical test, Washington has been shifting its resources and energy to the Indo-Pacific region in a bid to try to check Beijing's rising influence down there. And with Joe Biden at the helm, lots of luck with that. That's not going to happen. But the escalating war in Eastern Europe, it's frustrating Washington's plans, even as the Biden administration insists that it can focus on two theaters at one time, Europe and the Indo-Pacific at the same time. So the revival now of Cold War 1.0, Moscow against Washington, is taking oxygen majorly away from Cold War II, which is Beijing versus Washington. It's a blunder of historical proportions where the democracies are concerned. I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. One expert pinned the blame for this on D.C. and NATO for engaging in a series of strategic missteps that he believed culminated in Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Brandon Weikert, geopolitical analyst and author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, he holds that view, chiding the Biden folks for choosing to return to pre-Trump normal, that's what they call it, by adopting a policy that sought to contain Russia and put pressure on Moscow to be a good democracy with human rights. Like that's going to happen. Putin believes that no more deals can be made with the U.S., certainly not with the neoliberal and neoconservative elites like Joe Biden in power, and even Lindsey Graham, they say, running the show in D.C. Under Trump, this was our last exit ramp before a real catastrophe happening. The buildup of the Sino-Russian alliance, he said. The recent approach has effectively pushed Vladimir Putin into a corner. That's according to Weikert. And with no one else to turn, Putin chose to side with the Chinese commies. But this outcome, he said, could have been averted. While Russia by now is no means an ideal or natural partner given the country's human rights and military record, it has to be acknowledged Moscow could have helped the U.S. in providing a valuable counterweight to Beijing. If we could get the right leader in charge, we would be able to possibly break Russia away from China because ultimately, Russia still doesn't trust China. And ultimately, Russia would prefer to continue to do business with Europe and to still have positive relations, or at least in space, and on nuclear matters with us here in the U.S. Well, that didn't happen. Russia and China are now deepening their relationship in ways that nobody's ever seen before. Two weeks before this invasion, as Russia was drawing heavy international criticism for its plans to attack, Putin and Xi, I told you about this, proclaimed no limits partnership, 
a bilateral relationship, quote, superior to political and military alliances of the Cold War era. So they're making friends, and they're agreeing they're going to do stuff on the international stage together. Now, this partnership should scare us all to death (laughs) because the two countries decided not just to cooperate economically and, of course, militarily, but to work together in a general ideological way. Now, think about that. You have a former communist regime leader in Russia, former being, you know, World War II and post-World War II, communist China, yada, yada, yada. He was KGB, big shot and all that. That supposedly has all gone away. And then in China, you have the ultimate commie, Xi Jinping, that every day they're killing, I don't know how many of their own citizens, but they're harvesting organs. They have them in concentration camps. And when I say they have them, them constitutes millions of people. They're starting, we are told, to look at the ideological component. The component? Autocracy. The concept of multipolarity, having many different powers in the world, as opposed to only the United States. That is something that Russia and Chinese leadership for 30 years have been talking about. But they ever never actually shared or coordinated with one another. And now we see the beginning of that. And guess what's happening? This will make you feel good. Nothing's happening. Xi Jinping has no consideration whatsoever for Joe Biden. No fear of Joe Biden. And I promise you this. It's pretty much inevitable, folks. We're going to have an invasion in Southeast Asia. And you just heard our friends from Sky News. They were talking about how basically nobody can believe Joe Biden is the leader of the free world because not only of the things that he says, but the things that he does and the things that he doesn't do. And nobody looks at the U.S. in the same way that they did, even with Donald Trump in the White House for four years. We're no longer a threat. And so now they can pretty much just X off one of the things, the important things that they've got to do to reach whatever their goals and objectives are internationally. And the thing they're going to X off is the United States of America. Right now, they don't feel like they have to worry about too much. That should concern us more than anything we're talking about. And quite honestly, even with the Ukrainian people, every morning, those that are getting any kind of sleep at night or awakening and realizing they're in the midst of an invasion, an unprovoked invasion by a despot from Moscow who is lusting and therefore invading Ukraine for one thing and one thing only, power and control. And there's another one down, long way away from them, way southeast, that's feeling the same way. And that one is Xi Jinping, communist China, And the guy that's invading their country right now are buddies. And they're bragging that they're together as one unit. And they're going to be doing things together as nations. And they consider that union to make them the most powerful entity on the planet. Now, that may not be true 
But think about the damage they can do on many levels, politically, economically, socially, with their power and the money that they have collectively. That should concern us, and we have nobody, in my opinion, nobody in Washington, D.C. that's in any decision-making position that is going to be able to make any of that not happen. That should concern us all. Uh Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? (laughs) Leslie, guess what today is. It's hump day. Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. I'm famous chef Tony Magoni, owner of Tony Magoni's Steakhouse. And when people ask me where I get my award-winning meat from, it's from one place, Meaty Bits. No matter what you need, be it a smoked pig, a goat by sunset, or a ten-foot alligator and a salty brine, mm-hmm, Meaty Bits will get it to you fast with a smile and completely without judgment. So, if it's good enough for Tony Magoni's Steakhouse, why not be good enough for Joe Public's Home House? Mm, yeah. Get in touch with Meaty Bits and tell them Tony sent you. Meaty Bits. If it ever was alive, they can get it to you dead. Mm. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry, dragon fruit, and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Hey, guys. uh, Once again, I want to thank you all for, for being here, for participating. You know... Tomorrow marks the second anniversary of the existence of TNN Live. It doesn't seem possible. It's been two years since we started this show. And the show came after three years of just doing written stuff at our blog, truthnewsnet.org. And it's all a collective effort of us here at Truth News Network and you guys. And I want to say thanks and I want to remind you, I know you guys are busy. You don't have time to sit here 9 to 11 a.m. every Monday through Friday and listen to the show and join in. But we appreciate your doing so and want to make sure that you never miss a thing. So we have a multiple number of different ways for you to go back at your convenience and grab the show and listen when it's convenient for you. Just minutes after each show finishes up at 11 a.m. Central Time, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, iHeart Podcast, Google Podcast, believe it or not, Stitcher Podcast and TuneIn, and now Facebook are all grabbing our show and posting it there. So 
If you've got an iPhone, as an example, you've got the app for podcasts, that purple thing that looks like kind of like a, a microphone that somebody's talking on. It comes with your phone. Just open that, and in the search bar, type in the name of this show, TNN Live. Our main page, podcast page, will pop up, and you'll see that very familiar uh, logo of TNN, Truth News Network, and TNN Live. And there's an index that pops up, and the most recent show is there for you to listen to. Same kind of thing on these other sources that we're telling you. You can grab them and listen to them at any time. You can download them. You can share them. And we are so appreciative for the word spreading. We we do bring you some, some information every day that you're unable to get in other places. And we're not bragging about it. What we're saying is the same thing holds true for us. We think we're getting good and complete information by the new sources that we develop as the ones we individually want to go to and get our information from. Just be sure you understand that Truth News Network doesn't control everything. We don't have all the news and information. And so I would recommend to you, let me give you one specific example. There's a site that you can go to, Real Clear Politics, and it's laid out very simply. They do great polling, and what they do in their polling section is they grab all of the polls that are published and put them together in an index format so that you can see the results of not just the latest one that sounds really good for either the conservatives and Republican Party or the Democrat Party. You can see them all in a form where it's very easy to look and see. Because remember this, polls are opinions of people. And they're not exact because I know this may shock you, but people lie. (laughs) And also, the big part of that is that Real Clear Politics just like they do polls, they collect big news stories from a bunch of different sources. And those are in a list with the title and who the author is. And then it's a hyperlink that if you want to go look at the story, you click on it and it goes there. It's kind of like our Saturday bullet points offering. So I would encourage you to go there because not because they have only stuff that is good and truthful. It's exactly opposite that. They let you through looking at a potpourri of titles of stories from both sides of the political aisle about everything you can imagine, pick the ones that you want to go to. You need to find a way to make sure that you're getting the facts that are necessary for you to make good decisions. Now let's circle back for just a minute. We, we, were, we talked about Sky News and let you hear their concerns about our president. We talked about the unholy union that is coming together in a greater way than I ever could imagine would, Xi Jinping of China, Vladimir Putin of Russia are joining forces, not specifically for any things that we know about at this time, but talking about them doing things in the world collectively. Those are scary things. And the scariest part of it is we need leadership that is going to push back against that in a lot of different ways, ways that you or I can't imagine, but we all know they are out there. This administration is void of real leadership in almost every level. And while that's going on, we are seeing circumstance after circumstance, specific instances that happen one after another that shows that our president has some real issues, some real issues. 
And he doesn't hesitate when he has a chance to get in front of a, a camera, a microphone, to speak his mind and answer questions. And his handlers are desperate to keep him from doing that, but he still does. Let me give you one example of why it's justified for them to be concerned about this. The more semiconductors we make in America, and by the way, they were invented here in America. The semiconductor was invented in America when we went to the moon. Through the night that our flag was still there. And when we do that, when we focus on making sure that we make those again in the United States of America, so few are being made, we make and we make a heck of a lot more cars. As a result, we're seeing more jobs, more hope, and we're also seeing something else, the rebirth of pride. The semiconductor was invented in America when we went to the moon. Semiconductors invented in America when we went to the moon. Now, let, let me just give you some facts. How in the heck did Joe Biden come up with that? Who told him that? The reason I say that is it's not true. (laughs) Folks, semiconductors, there's not just one day in history. Bam, all of a sudden, look here, I invented a semiconductor. It, It was a long process that began back in the 1800s in Europe. I mean, think about that. It was anything to do with IT and equipment. Very seldom can anybody take the credit for totally and solo inventing anything. It happens occasionally, I get that. But the semiconductor is not just one simple thing. It's a device, and it's got all kinds of uses, and there are multiple kinds of semiconductors. They certainly weren't developed by us in 1969 when we went to the moon. Why would he even say that? We invented the semiconductor when we went to the moon. And we actually set uh, set foot on the moon in 1969. The first silicon semiconductor device was a silicon radio crystal detector developed by an engineer way back in 1906. And then another guy, Russell O.H.L., discovered the P.N. junction and photovoltaic effects in silicon. In 1941, techniques for producing high-purity germanium and silicon crystals were developed for radar microwave detectors, World War II. In 1955, Carl Frosch, and Lincoln Derrick at Bell Labs accidentally discovered that silicon dioxide could be grown on silicon, and they later proposed this could mask silicon surfaces during diffusion processes in 1958. It's a very long and speckled past, and here comes President Joe Biden, not in some kind of scientific forum where people are giving out information and engineers are speaking and people are just hungrily waiting and asking questions and getting answers just out of the clear blue. He's talking about semiconductor and and let me put it in context. The reason for this, the concern is Taiwan. 
Everything we have that's electronic, anything to do with computer-related stuff, computer chips, we rely on that. Taiwan is our number known source currently of semiconductors. There are other places around the world where they're made. We make some here in the United States, but hey, in the last 30 years, as we've watched and seen about everything, we can get pretty much just as good or better stuff and we could get it from overseas because it's quicker, they're better at producing it, and the big deal is they can do it and ship it here cheaper than we can. But folks, we did not invent semiconductors. It was decades, and even more than a century and a half of scientists from around the world researching and finding out things in electronics individually and cooperatively over two dec- uh, two centuries plus, the semiconductor came into being, and it's being built all around the world and always has been, and it has nothing to do with the United States going to the moon. Somebody tell Joe that. Well, in this last 15 minutes or so, let me just blow your mind with something. You know, we we saw Hillary Clinton call, crawl out of wherever she stays a couple of months ago, and she started making some noise about maybe coming back and getting it back involved in government. In a statement on Friday, her hubby, Bill, said the Clinton Global Initiative, you remember that? It's going to be making its comeback to address the many challenges facing the world today. Everything from climate change to Russia's invasion of Ukraine to the coronavirus pandemic. He said this, Bill did, cooperation and coordination has never been more urgent than it is right now. The COVID pandemic has ripped the cover off long-standing inequities and vulnerabilities across our global community. The existential threat of climate change grows every day. Democracy is under assault around the world, most glaringly in Ukraine, where Russia has launched an unjustified and unprovoked invasion that has put millions of lives in grave danger, he continued. The number of displaced people and refugees worldwide is higher than it's ever been. More than 1 in 95 of all people alive on the planet today has been forced to flee their homes, and that number goes up. A subset of the infamous Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Global Initiative, convenes global and emerging leaders to create and implement solutions to the world's most pressing challenges. That comes from the Clinton Global Initiative's website. Rather than directly implementing projects, CGI facilitates action by helping members connect, collaborate, and develop commitments to action, new, specific, and measurable plans that address global challenges, it says about itself. Well, it ended. The Clinton Global Initiative ended in 2016 when Hillary launched her presidential campaign, fearing that it could create a conflict of interest. And it's going to convene between September 19th to September 21st in New York City, we're told. Just like the world we're living in, the September meeting will likely look different than the one we held before, but what will not be different is the spirit that has driven CGI from the very beginning, the idea that we can accomplish more together than we can do so apart. 
Now, let me just, I just wanted to tell you that's out there. And let me just wrap it up by telling you this. The Clinton Global Initiative, pretty much what they did was they raised a lot of money. And they got millionaires from all over the globe. Billionaires, millionaires, and tens of hundreds of millions of dollars came in to the Clinton Initiative for them to throw in there and put all kind of people together and just handle all of the problems of everybody on the planet. That was the goal. The big banana in all of this was the Clinton Global Initiative and what they did, stepping in down in Haiti. Remember when that first horrible earthquake happened down there? Thousands of Haitian people were killed. All kinds of infrastructure disappeared. No way, no means of communication. There was housing problems. There was no health care. It was horrible. Well, they went down there, did the Clinton Foundation and the Clinton Global Initiative, and they came in and said, look, here's our, here's our website. We're down here. We're going to help these people with everything. We just pull everybody together. We have people in every sector of every part of world life and everything that everybody needs, we're going to be kind of like the outlet to pull everybody that has these resources together with all these people here that got to have it. More than a billion dollars came to the Clinton Foundation, and less than 10% of it ended up in the lives in any substantive way for the Haitian people give you one example. They didn't have any communication way. So Bill Clinton, they found the money. They brought in a contractor from the U.S., a friend of theirs. Hey, had the technology, had the ability. So he came with his company. They were going to put in a cell phone operation that would blanket every part of Haiti. And the Clinton Foundation was going to fund a telephone for every Haitian. None of it ever happened. More than $200 million was donated for that to happen. Not one cell phone was ever activated on that system. But guys, don't worry. The Clinton Global Initiative, because of everything happening in the world, they're out there to make sure that we're all okay. Cannot finish the show today without this. Adam Schiff is back in the news today. I know that makes everybody feel safe and warm and fuzzy. He was on Face the Nation yesterday, CBS's big show, and he came on to make sure everybody understands the Justice Department, the U.S. Justice Department, has got to be investigating Donald Trump for violating federal laws after the 2020 presidential election. He had a conversation with Margaret Brennan on the show. Here's what Margaret said, quote, before I let you go, I want to ask you about the January 6th committee. That was a development this week. A court filing claimed there is now evidence that President Trump broke the law in his efforts to overturn the election in 2020. Do you think that the attorney general is moving fast enough with this enforcement? And then Adam Schiff, with all his wisdom, what we made clear now, he, we is the January 6th committee, which he's on. What we made clear in our filing to the court is we believe there's a good faith basis to conclude 
that the former president and his campaign may have violated any number of federal laws, including obstructing an official proceeding, the joint session, and defrauding the American people. And I do think that the Justice Department ought to be looking at these issues and ought to be investigating. In particular, just to give one very graphic example, the former president on the phone with the Secretary of State in Georgia demanding that he find 11,780 votes that didn't exist, but the precise number he would need to overtake President Biden. I think if anyone else had engaged in that conversation, they would be under investigation, and it should be no different for the former president. So I think the department is diligently pursuing those who attacked the Capitol that day. But there were multiple lines of effort to overturn the election that may have violated the law, which also should be investigated. Let me just say this. If Adam Schiff thinks... If he thinks that the Department of Justice, including the FBI and multiple other agencies, did not and has not on an ongoing basis looked and turned over every rock of possibility to find some way Donald Trump broke the law, he's an idiot. He doesn't think that. But let me tell you what's going on. He's a guy that hates Trump and everything about Trump. He hates the fact that Trump is a successful, first of all, businessman, and secondly, that he got elected president. Adam Schiff is mired in the second, maybe even third level of power in the United States House of Representatives. He's the most jealous man on the planet. He's looking ahead to November this year when the election season really kicks off, not just for 2022 and the midterms where every member of the House of Representatives there's an election for, but he's looking ahead at 2024 and he is horrified that his nemesis, Donald Trump, just might come back in and get elected to a second term as president. So what is he doing? He's not bringing up anything new. This thing that they sent to the Department of Justice, all it was was about some recycled allegations that the DOJ has investigated exhaustively, exhausting millions of taxpayer dollars in doing it. But Schiff is just wanting to make some noise, to make and point fingers and get everybody to think. Orange man, evil. Donald Trump is evil. We got to keep him out of public service ever again. Well, there is information that leads to make a lot of people think the DOJ might go after Trump in some kind of political battle. And that sets a high bar for Attorney General Merrick Garland to act on an expected criminal referral from this January 6th committee. The committee investigating the attack, they just... I just told you what they said they found, and it's a nothing burger. There's nothing there, but they can make some noise. But Republican lawmakers warn that any federal attempt to prosecute Donald Trump will be accused of being politically motivated, boost Trump within the GOP, and turn into a partisan food fight at a time when Joe Biden is pivoting to the center again, trying to keep his 2020 campaign promise 
to unify the country. Senator Mike Braun, I love him, Republican from Indiana, said that any criminal referral from the House would probably have as much political taint as you can get. It's already starting, folks. (laughs) It's already begun. Election time is here. That's a wrap on the Monday show. Thank you so much for being here. Make sure you check out today's story. It's about elections and not the upcoming one. It's about the 2020 election and the big lie that it looks like based on some evidence isn't the big lie. Hmm. Check it out at truthnewsnet.org. Back with you tomorrow morning here, 9 to 11 a.m. at TNN Live. I never felt like this before Yes, I swear It's a truth And I owe it all to you Cause I the time of my life And I owe it all to you I'm so long now I finally found someone to stand by me
time of my life No, I never felt this way before Never felt Yes, I swear way. It's the truth And I hope it 